Al Jazeera podcast. A region reeling in pain and one step from the precipice. Those are the words of the UN chief, Antonio Guterres, during an urgent diplomatic mission to help Gaza. 2.3 million Palestinians are living under Israeli siege and constant bombing. So what can Guterres hope to achieve? I'm James Bays, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. bring in our panel of guests to discuss this further. Mansour Schumann is a human rights advocate and resident of Gaza. He joins us from Khan Yunus. Francesca Albanese is the UN Special Rapporteur on the Occupied Palestinian Territory. She's joining us from Washington, D.C. And Donatella Rivera is the Senior Crisis Response Advisor at Amnesty International. She joins us by Skype from London. Warm welcome to all of you. If I can start with you, um, Mansour, on the ground in Khan Yunus in Gaza. 20 trucks came in today, just 20 trucks for 2.3 million people. Tell us what is the feeling, what are things like right now in Gaza? Thank you for having me. Uh, when the people here heard that only 20 trucks came in, honestly, there was a feeling of despair and shock, uh, uh, while at the same time feeling that uh, we are all alone here in this. Uh, the international community, uh, the, the, the powers, so be it, are not caring for the civilians here in Gaza. We are in the 15th day of this aggression on the civilian population. Over 4,000 killed, 15,000 injured. Electricity has been shut off. Water taps have been shut off. And now we are getting only 20 trucks supplying 0.02% of the need after 15 days. Normally, the Rafah crossing border gets at least 150 trucks every day. Multiply that by the 15 days with no supplies. Add to that the hundreds of thousands displaced and consuming the, the supply rations in other people's food, in other people's area. We are looking here at disaster. We are looking here at human genocide of the 21st century. And people are, uh, they are both mad, fed up, and feel they're all on their own. And Mansour, just to be clear, even though there was this opening of Rafa very briefly for 20 trucks, the bombardment continued even then and is still continuing, I believe. Yes. Um, uh, just before we started recording, uh, the adjacent UN school, besides where I'm staying right now, got hit by two uh, suicide drones. Uh, the, the, the bombardment is ongoing. It is not stopping. Also, the people here, when they when they understood what were in those twenty trucks, they were like, they were in shock. I mean, there are there, there are gloves, masks, uh, coffin wraps. Um, I mean, is this really the most important thing to provide to the people of Gaza at this stage? Okay, let me bring in Francesca Albanese now. I need to make clear, I think, as we're discussing the UN and aid and its role, you are a special rapporteur, uh, but we've been speaking about the Secretary-General of the UN. You don't actually work for him. We need to be clear, you're completely independent in your role uh, and you're appointed by the, by the Human Rights Council. Uh, your reaction to 20 trucks of aid, simple math, one truck for 100,000 people? Um. Good morning, and thank you for having me. I don't think that my reaction can be any different from that of Mansour. 
saying it's it's insufficient and it's insufficient it's inadequate although it's necessary so let me be clear humanitarian aid is needed and it has been needed for a long time even before the 7th of October, because Gaza has been under a 16-year blockade, which had already pushed 2.2 million people in a very critical situation. But the, the, the most important thing is that a ceasefire is declared. There is a need to stop the killing of civilians that has already made 4,000 victims. Uh, mind you, this is almost the same amount of people who have been killed in Gaza in five pre uh, prior um, uh, conflicts. And, um, and further loss of life must be spared. At the same time, humanitarian aid is necessary and needs to enter from all crossings not just Gaza, including the, the crossings in, in Israel, Eren, uh, Eren, uh, Eretz uh, and Kerem Shalom. There is no reason why this should not happen. And uh, the, what I also think that what is needed from the international community and this UN Security Council, which is ultimately responsible for the maintenance of peace and security globally, is a robust principle that even-handed uh, stands on this issue because it's leading not only millions of people in Gaza into the abyss, but it's threatening peace and security for all Palestinians and Israelis and unfortunately beyond. Donatella, you represent Amnesty International. You are a war crimes investigator. What do you make of the fact that even while they let the aid in, they continued the bombardment of Gaza? And it's continuing, as Mansour said, in the last few moments. Well, first of all, um, on, on the aid, because this is really important, the, the 20 trucks of aid that went into Gaza did not contain fuel, insofar as we know. And fuel is essential to produce electricity, which is essential to purify water and deliver water to people. There is a public health crisis that is unfolding in Gaza with waterborne diseases because people have no clean water to drink. Uh, so, so you know, it, the 20 trucks is not just a, a, an issue of how little uh, went in, but also of what was missing, which is so desperately needed. The bombardments have been going on uh, daily. I've also heard from our field worker uh, in Gaza a short while ago about uh, new airstrikes that have been carried out. Thousands of civilians have been killed and injured. The tragedy is that Gazan civilians do not know where can they go, what can they do to protect themselves and their children, because really nowhere is off limit. Myself and my colleagues have been investigating cases where entire families were wiped out. People who had left their homes because they felt that their homes were in areas that were more exposed, closer to the perimeter with Israel, and they went to stay with friends and relatives in areas further in, which they thought were less exposed, and those places were bombarded, and they ended up being killed. Uh, the bombardments are indiscriminate. Indiscriminate attacks are war crimes. And these war crimes are being committed on a daily basis. Uh, and the reaction of the international community is shameful uh, because while it's absolutely true that Israel has every right to take proportionate measures 
to protect its own population and to respond to attack. It does not have the right to indiscriminately attack civilians who are packed into one of the most densely populated areas of the world and who have no possibilities to leave that area or to do anything whatsoever to protect themselves because the bombardments have targeted every area of the Gaza Strip, every type of structures, small houses, big buildings, schools, um, hospitals, for that matter. So people really don't know what to do. And, and the bombardments are continuing. And I absolutely agree that the you know, most urgent, urgent measures is for these uh, indiscriminate attacks to end uh, immediately. And, and the efforts of the international community should first and foremost be concentrated on exerting the necessary pressure to ensure that all parties lie with international humanitarian law. Uh, Israel is not above the law and it should not be allowed to behave as though it is, which unfortunately is the case because 15 days into these uh, indiscriminate bombardments that have killed and injured so many civilians, the international community could not bring itself to, uh, to, to demand that indiscriminate attacks stop. That let me bring in let me bring in Mansour now on one of the points that you made, Donatella, which was the importance of fuel. Um, clearly, there are only um, not all the hospitals, many of the hospitals not operating. Those that are operating re rely on electricity from generators that need fuel. And as Donatella said, in order to operate desalination plants, pumping stations, you need fuel for vital water. Give us some, some more detail on fuel and also on, on, on water. I mean, I hear, Mansour, people are even drinking seawater or unsafe water from agricultural wells. That's, that's a great point. Actually, yesterday I was on a... Uh, I was on a call with a reporter from the CBC, and she asked me, what is the main item, if you had a choice, that must be available in these trucks that come in? The, the answer that came up to my mind immediately was fuel. Um, and I was shocked <laughs> again. Maybe I, maybe I, maybe I, I shouldn't be. It seems like it's going to be an ongoing process here. Knowing there was no fuel coming in, um, that's a death sentence here, because Right now, there is no electrical grid here in Gaza. Uh, people rely on electrical generators that are running on fuel, uh, erected cell gen electrical generators. As an example for that, the hospital that I'm beside right now. Uh, so, like you said, the desalination plants. Uh, with regards to the water, uh, from personal experience, from my family's experience, from the people around me right now, everyone here is suffering from some kind of digestible uh, tract uh, uh, disorder uh, because of the unpure water that we're all drinking. Uh, we're all, I mean, it's, it's like, like, like your colleague in the studio said, uh, my fear, my biggest fear right now is the rise of a, of a pandemic within this very crowded, closed space here amongst 2.3 million congested in open schools on the street in crowded homes with no medication, no clean water, and food that is almost going to run out as well. Uh, we, are in, we are in a crisis and we need a solution. Francesca, you, as well as being the special rap rapporteur, you are a lawyer by profession. Um, the World Health Organization has documented 62 attacks on healthcare. Um, uh, areas, 29 healthcare facilities in particular, and 23 ambulances. Are these war crimes? I do think so. 
yes, because our hospitals should be uh, should be protected at all times. And look, I think that here we need to, I fully agree with Donatella's analysis, and we need to maintain um, the capacity to analyze its in each incident, but also consider the, 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 let's say, the broader, the broader picture, just of what's going on in Gaza. Because again, we have an international community and particularly Western countries who have rallied against, um, sorry, uh, who have rallied a around Israel and defending and repeating like a mantra uh, Israel's right to self-defense. But it, we shouldn't forget that the population of Gaza uh, uh, is, uh, constitutes protected persons under international law. Israel is occupying Gaza. Israel is keeping Gaza under siege and has responsibility toward the Palestinians in Gaza. What we have seen is that the bombing of there have been bombings of hospital. And by the way, there is one which is which is likely to happen as we speak, because the Al-Quds hospitals in Gaza, which is currently sheltering 400 people, including 12,000 displaced, has been ordered uh, to to evacuate, which is impossible. The the, the, the hospitals are full of people uh, in uh, in who cannot be moved, and um, and so these are clearly war crimes, and which is enough to stop what Israel has started on the seventh of. October, because the, under the opaqueness of wanting to eradicate uh, Hamas, uh, Israel is, is, uh, is pursuing an entire campaign which seems to be intended to depopulate Gaza, because it's bombing from north to south, but it's also ordering the evacuation of 1.1 million uh, Palestinians. From from the northern part of the of the strip, which uh, which is the largest, and leading to an amassment of people in the in the south, this might amount to ethnic cleansing. And there is an intent that has been declared because there are various officials who have gone on record saying that the Gazans should go to the Sinai, that there are housing units, and they will receive all the assistance they need. But there is also the presence of under the fog of war. Israel has already committed ethnic cleansing of the Palestinians in 47, in 1947, 1949, 750,000 Palestinians, uh, mostly more from modern-day Israel, were uh, displaced, became refugees, and were never allowed to return. And the same thing in 1967, 350,000 Palestinians have been uh, have been uh, displaced and never allowed to return to the Gaza Strip, West Bank, and East Jerusalem. This is happening now as well. We're obviously some of the things we're discussing today are aid and also the role of the United Nations. And as you'll be aware, the UN is operating on the ground with the Red Crescent, one of the few organisations operating on the ground. And it's worth noting that 17 UNRWA staff, that's the agency of the UN that deals with the Palestinians, have lost their lives already. So we know there's very good humanitarian work going on from the United Nations. But also we've seen uh, to get this very limited. 20 trucks in personal diplomacy from the UN Secretary-General. Um, pretty bold in the sense that he went to the edge of an active war zone. Let's just listen to what he said. Behind these walls, we have two million people that is suffering enormously, that has no water, no food, no medicine, no fuel, that is under fire 
that needs everything to survive. So these trucks are not just trucks. They are a lifeline. Well, that's the Secretary-General speaking before those trucks were allowed in. Uh, but it is worth noting, Donatella, isn't it, that it took him a week even to call for a ceasefire. Are you happy with the way the Secretary-General's been performing? Well, I mean, ultimately, the United Nations is a collection of states and the Secretary-General is um, presiding over uh, what is an in, you know, intergovernmental body uh, with many different opinions. Um, I think that what's very important to um, bring to the attention of your viewers with regard to humanitarian aid is the reason why the Gaza Strip depends so much on humanitarian aid at all times, already before the 7th of October. It's not because the Gazan people don't want to work. It's because in order to have any sort of economy existing, it is required that there be free movement of people and goods. With the Gaza Strip being under a full blockade for the past 16 years, um, with Israel controlling everything that goes in and out, it is impossible um, for uh, Gaza to develop any meaningful sort of economy. And therefore, the, the regime, um, you know, before this disastrous situation that un that's been unfolding since the uh, 7th of October, it's the premise that two... 3.3 million people should be kept in a, in a situation where they are prevented from developing an economy to sustain themselves, and they should be forever dependent on humanitarian aid that can be switched on and off at a whim, which is what has happened now uh, and which has happened many times before. Can I bring in Francesca on the UN's response? And what did you a make of what we saw in the Security Council. The US wielding its veto to stop a resolution allowing humanitarian pauses for aid to be distributed. And the US ambassador, as I understand it, said that they, they vetoed because uh, the resolution would get in the way of diplomacy. Does that make sense to you? No, it doesn't. And it is not the first time that the what comes out from the, let's say, the behind the, the behind the scene works of the of the UN and the Security Council in particular doesn't make sense to me or to any reasonable person. Just for the benefit of the viewers, it, we, we have to say that, that again, there is a, a the UN are uh, providing critical assistance as they can on the ground, and there are various actors. WHO, uh, ANWA, uh, WFP, trying to mobilize. There is an entire humanitarian community trying to push for a, um, a wise solution, which cannot happen without a ceasefire. But there is the political echelon, and particularly the Security Council, which has been paralyzed once again by the U.S., because the U.S. is the only state which vetoed the resolution. Even Russia and the U.K. abstained. Uh, it, and, and again, there is this misunderstanding, this clear misperception of what's going on on the ground, because there is um, the, the argument, including here in the U.S., is that this is a ceasefire is a, is a politically loaded word because it means constraining uh, Israel's ability to protect its citizens. Now, how on earth what Israel is doing uh, in killing thousands of civilians, destroying entire families. 47 families have been cancelled from the civil registries, five generations of people. How destroying entire neighborhoods, hospitals and schools is going to bring 
security and protection to the Israelis. Okay. How? Let me let, let me let me bring in Mansour at the end of our discussion. Then, when you hear what's going on, yes, the UN is doing good humanitarian work. When you hear the sort of discussions going on at the Security Council, you hear what the US is doing. Tell us what people in Gaza make of that. The people in Gaza uh, believe that the US will support Israel in what what whatever they do. Um, there, there is no belief in the system by the people of Gaza. There's no belief in how the UN is running, how the Security Council is, is, is running. Um, the people of Gaza uh, are saying one sentence, is that our, we are relying only on God, and God will hopefully uh, take us to a better place in the near future. Uh, people here are not putting any hope on the, U on the US or the UN or the WHO. Uh, it seems that it's a, it's a strong, eat, weak world. And uh, is that why the UN was created? To do such things? I mean, uh, if more people, like our two guests, uh, ran the UN and the WHO and the Security Council, with many of our rational, free human beings out there, I think Gaza wouldn't be where it is right now. Mansour, thank you very much, and please say, stay safe. Thank you to all our guests, Mansour Schumann, Francesca Albanese, and Donatella Rivera. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Alexandra Byers, Michael Harwood, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Suraz Shankar. The programme was edited by Alexander Kohler, Zaina Bada, and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thanks for listening, and tune in on Sunday for our next edition. a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.